Hello, and welcome to Tell Us Your Story, a new podcast from the Institute of Public Affairs. I'm Kian Hussey, Research Fellow at the IPA and the host of this show. In this series, I talk to Australian entrepreneurs to hear their story. We'll discuss what inspired them to start their own business and explore the insights and advice they want to share with enterprising young Australians who wish to create their own opportunities and success. Entrepreneurship and risk-taking are central to the Australian way of life. Despite this, Australians are increasingly seeking the comfort of employment over what's seen as the risky and uncertain path of business creation. But entrepreneurs are needed now more than ever. Don't let your dreams be dreams. The COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated many structural issues, especially for younger Australians who've been at a disadvantage since the global financial crisis. Our future prosperity, our democracy and our very way of life depend on enterprising and innovative Australians. It's vital that we unlock their potential. So today I'm talking to Roger and Leslie Gillespie, the founders of Baker's Delight. What started as a single bakery in Hawthorne in 1980 has turned into an international franchise with over 700 stores across Australia, New Zealand and North America. This incredible growth was the result of the hard work and entrepreneurial spirit of Roger and Leslie. And I'm delighted to have them on the show today. Thanks for joining me. And how are you both? We're both well and, and thanks for having us. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Yeah, cheers. So, so everyone in Australia is, is familiar with um, Baker's Delight, um, but many people might not be familiar with the story behind it. Um, so, like I said, you started in 1980. It's been 40 years now since you, since you opened the first bakery. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about how you came to, to found Baker's Delight back then? Well, I'll go first. Is yeah. that okay? okay? Yeah. So, back in the day, back in the 70s, um, I first started going out with Roger when I was at university and I got a job at a local little uh, bakery in Carnegie, which is in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. And Roger was the manager of this bakery and there was about half a dozen of these bakeries. They were called Old Style Bread Centre. And so he was running them and I got a job there. So, you know, the inevitable happened. We eventually got married, but that's how we knew the baking business. But it goes back even further, that I first came into the baking business, but it goes back even further from Roger's family. So over to you, Roger. My father and grandfather were bakers and it could have gone back further than that, but I'm not sure. My father sold his bakeries in the 50s and then was supplying secondhand bakery machinery to the European migrants in the 50s and 60s. And he came home one day and said, oh, I've just set up a bakery for an Italian and a Greek or Italian and a Yugoslav, and they won't get on and they'll be wanting to sell the business in six months. Well, he was wrong, uh, right on one account and wrong on the other. They only lasted three months. They came back to him and said, you know, get me out of here. So as a family, we bought it. I was 21. I learned the trade there while I wanted to go back to university. Uh, then I started, as Lisa said, what's called Old Style Bread Centres, which morphed into Brumpies later. And then in 1980, we started Baker's Delight because we wanted... Well, Roger said, we, we think we can, I think we can do this ourselves, yeah. you know, rather than work for somebody else. Yeah. We think we can do this ourselves. And we had a partner then, Gary Stevenson, and we started with one bakery in suburban Hawthorne, Glenferry Road. Where we still operate. We still operate. We're still there. It's great. Yeah, amazing. So can you kind of talk through how you then, how that journey happened from, um, you know, from the one baker in Hawthorne to kind of the success and the widespread? Yeah, well, we had the one in Hawthorne and I didn't want to be a baker Remember all my life and I'd already 
gone from starting one business and multiplying that to 15 stores. So I looked around and saw another bakery in the next suburb in Hawthorne East, uh, about three kilometres away, and we bought that uh, with a partner, then bought another one somewhere else, and we had about five or six partners, and that got too hard. So we said, well, I think uh, we need to buy out our partners, and we got to about 15 stores and then... That was in the, yeah. the late 80s. And then we saw franchising and mm. saw us an opportunity to expand via the franchising model. So we converted all our bakeries to franchises, franchises and the sales improved dramatically. dramatically. We were able to expand in the 80s because they're profitable little units. And that's the, one of the most important things because the bank manager was our best friend and he kept on saying, we said, oh, we've got another opportunity, you know, in Baldwin. Not a problem. We'll lend you the money. And so for, to be able to expand, you, the business had to be profitable. But as we were going from one to two to three and we got up to about 15 in the late 80s, the profitability of each successive bakery was less and less. And it took us a while, but Roger and I realised we had to be doing something different because the trend downward was not good. But that's when Roger, to his credit, and to my brother, who was our lawyer, his credit, they really investigated franchising. And once we started franchising, that was our quantum leap. And it wasn't long after that that the bank manager that Lucy was talking about became a franchisee and then another <laughs> bank manager from a different bank became a franchisee. That's so, right. It was good. Uh, that was a fun time. Yeah. So we expanded very quickly from 89. In, to 99. To early, yeah, early, to 99. Yeah. Went from 15 to, you know, a few hundred stores. Yeah, it, it's a pretty incredible story. And, and I'm just wondering as well, what would you say was, was some of the bigger challenges when you got started in, in 1980? Um, and then perhaps along the way, as you moved into the franchise model and, and even going forward to today, um, what stand out as the, the kind of biggest challenges for you? Same challenge today as it was then. Getting bakers. Getting bakers. There's never enough bakers. <laughs> even though we trained a lot of apprentices and we're always looking for new ones, every week we need more bakers. Um, so it's no different now than what it was 40 years ago. Yeah, so from that perspective, I mean, from for our franchisees' perspective, with finances available, trainings available, um, and I'd say from a, a kind of a total business perspective, our biggest challenge as a franchisor is finding the right franchisees, yeah. and that continues. Yeah. And that's the biggest challenge. And I think that applies to every business. If you don't have the right people sitting in the right seats, it's really a challenge but you've got to get the right people doing the right job for the, at the right time. Mm. And then some of those people that are good today uh, won't be good enough in a few years' time when the challenges are bigger, the business becomes more complex. So that's been a constant challenge as well, knowing when to you know, upgrade a position and uh, replace someone because the business has outgrown them. And, and it sounds like we might have preempted um, what my next question was going to be, which is, um, what are what are the most important lessons you think you've learned um, over the last forty years in, in terms of running and managing a business? Um, but it sounds like that might be something to do with the people you've got. Well, and it's never easy. It's never easy. You know, it's it's hiring the right people, 
um, and and mentoring them and training them. And it's it's if it was easy, as Roger often says, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And it's not easy when you're dealing with people because we are an incredibly people uh, intensive business. It's not a tech company. You know, we we bake bread by hand. It's 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 people, people, people. Um, and I think one of the lessons is just, you know, and also to, to, to hire carefully, to yeah. hire carefully. Um, and also if you've made a mistake in no matter what area is to admit the mistake and find a solution for it. Yeah. So and sometimes that's summarised as hire slowly and fire quickly. So when you realise you've made it, so as you said, it's not just a mistake in hiring. It could be a mistake in a location or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Uh Acknowledge it fast and, and do something about it. And in any business, you're going to make mistakes. You know, we're human. You just, it's 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 accepting that you will make mistakes and making sure you rectify them when they're little rather than ignore them and then they become big. Yeah. So that's been one of the lessons definitely we've learned. So this podcast is specifically aimed at, at younger Australians and kind of trying to give them an insight into what it's like Um you know, start starting a business and running a business, expanding businesses. Um, so can, if we can just build on on what you were saying there, what are some of the kind of, if you had to summarise the essential, um, you know, do's and don'ts um, and things to look out for for young people who are trying to get started, um, what, what would some of that advice look like, do you think? Well, firstly, make sure you've got a model that's actually profitable um, or you can see profit coming, you know, in the near future. Be... Do what you say you're going to do and be responsible and be honest and truthful and genuine. And be patient. Mm. I think, you know, we say to our incoming franchisees, and we've got a whole system set up and it's very different to someone starting a new business from scratch with a new idea, but the, the new franchisees are told time and time again it'll be harder than you think and they think it's hard getting up at two in the morning to go to work and then having to work all day and then half the next day. Uh, and then three months into the business, they come back and say to the person trained them, oh, if I had known it was going to be this hard, I would have thrown it in. <laughs> Even though they've been told a dozen times it's going to be hard. So I say to people when they start a new business, in addition to what Leslie said, it's going to take twice as long, cost twice as much and be twice as hard as you think. And if you still want to do it, do it. But you've got to have fire in your belly. You've got to believe in yourself and you've got to want to succeed. And if you've got that, you'll walk through the brick wall to get to the success you want. You know, that uh, I don't think there's many people around it. If people are painted as, oh, you know, they just got out of bed one day and suddenly they're a billionaire, it doesn't happen that way. Mm. They take It takes a long time to be, to an, be an overnight, overnight night sensation. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So whether it's in a cafe or in a you know Atlassian startup or Microsoft, whatever it is, it's longer than people think because the people are invisibly working for years before they become known as a, a public success. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few floats and going through the stock market the last few weeks, and some of them look like they're overnight success, like that adore beauty, but it's been going for 15 years or something. Mm-hmm. It's uh, people forget that they you know, you've got to go to the heart of the story, and even before it started, it might have been a germ of an idea in that person's head for two or three or four years. So it's um, getting your plan right. Putting a plan on paper, I think, is another important thing. Even if you look back six months later and say, well, you didn't stick to the plan, but at least you've thought through the issues and the hurdles and uh, set yourself up for success rather than failure. 
because some people just start a business and say, well, I'm opening a cafe. Well, how many customers a day do I need to serve? How many cups of coffee do I need? How many cups do I need? You know, all of those little questions. And you apply that sort of thinking to any business, it's a ground for groundwork for success. It, 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 yeah. You think through the details and have a plan attached to those details. If you do that, you'll succeed. But without it, you'll fall over. Imagine building a 20-storey building without a plan. Yeah, yeah, it won't happen. You can't do it. It's a good analogy. It's a very good analogy. So you've got to have a framework, a blueprint, and uh, budgets and projections, cash flows, all of that stuff. So very much getting into the nitty-gritty of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's easy to sit on the beach and dream about owning your own business, but sitting on the beach is not going to make it happen. You've got to be sitting on the beach thinking, well, this is the last day I'll be sitting on this beach for the next three years. <laughs> and if I'm lucky, I'll have half a day, you know, at Christmas where I'm sitting on the beach because I'll be worried about paying my bills and that staff that let me down or that person who I thought was going to be good, I had to fire, all of that stuff. It all happens. So having said that, anyone watching this video, if you've got an idea, go for it. Get some help. Talk to people whose opinions you respect, but go for it. And and it, it sounds kind of daunting um, what you've just said. It, it might be the last day I sit on the beach for three years and you're worried about bills. And I know my um, my dad had started a small business and it was very much the same thing. It's um, It can be all-consuming um, and, the, and the whole family is involved with with helping out. Um, but but if that's the case, then why do you think young people should should get into this? Why should they start a business? What do you see as, as being the rewards for, you know, being self-employed or, or being an entrepreneurial person, creating these opportunities and, um, and starting something? Well, the rewards are, in, are, are terrific and, and varied. Apart from just a monetary reward, you control your destiny. You are your own boss and, and you see your staff develop underneath you and it's or not underneath. You see your staff develop and create their own career. Yeah. Nothing gives me more pleasure, and I'm sure I'm going to speak for Roger, in seeing these young young bakers. Often they were they might have been a book not very good, but, gee, they've got the street smarts, left school at 15 and have gone through doing an apprentice with apprenticeship with Baker's Delight, done the franchisee training, and now they're incredibly successful business people. Um, we went and visited a bakery last week. One of our original, um, he started with us in the 80s, one of our original apprentices. He's now got six stores, six bakeries. He's incredibly successful. But what gives him success, him, his satisfaction is seeing his staff develop too. Um, so it's 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 incredibly rewarding, not just financially, because you actually it's creative. You create something. Um, yeah, and that sense, that? yeah, no, the sense of creating your own destiny, mm-hmm. and that, and and saying, well, I own that. It's a bit like when you first bake a cake, or you know, cook something on the barbecue for your first time when you're a teenager, or however old you might have been. But any achievement that you've done for yourself is rewarding. Right? Mm-hmm. When you first learn to ride a bike, or whatever it might be. But to start a business and say, wow, I started that and now it's successful, now I employ three people, now I employ 30, now I employ 300, whatever it might be, but it's just that sense of achievement and also going from having a dream to... Reality. Yeah, and it might be a nightmare for a little while (laughs) (laughs) until it becomes a rewarding dream, but it's just we get a lot of kicks out of seeing people succeed. 
And in addition to that one list, it just means that guy's been with us for 35 years and he's still as enthusiastic as he was when he started. Just when the pandemic started in mid-March, we opened a bakery in a place called Halifax. Uh, you can't get any further from Melbourne than Halifax. Uh, if you walk out that bakery and, and head east, it'll take just as long to get to Melbourne as it would if you headed west. Um, yeah, it's it's on the Atlantic Ocean yeah. in, in Canada. And it's supervised from Toronto, which is about the same distance as maybe Adelaide is from Perth. So it's quite remote. Um, Canada's you know, a big country. It's about 50% further across than Australia is. Anyway, this couple opened. They had support from the office there for a couple of days. They went back. I don't even know whether they were there for the first few days, and it wasn't long. Then they were there on their own. Because the travel wasn't allowed. Yeah, bam. And anyway, this business took off, and there was obviously phone and uh, Zoom-type connection. And the uh, young brother and sister who run it were support of their father, and they're doing brilliantly. And the joy that that gives us to see mm. that couple working in remote circumstances and succeeding is fantastic. And we've been in business for 40 years and we still get a kick out of seeing these people doing that. We're involved in another business, Not Baker's Delight, it's just launching a whole new range of products into supermarkets this week. And hearing the people who are doing that, it's just so exciting because you know, it's gone from being one sort of business, it's transformed and reinvented itself. And it's just mm. a new baby and it's fantastic and we love it. There's, I don't know whether I've explained the rewards of ownership and uh, being in business, but different things drive different people. You know, everyone was driven by the same fact. We'd be just a whole group of morons. <laughs> um, but luckily we've got people who, you know, want to find a better way to take people's appendix out, want a better way to deliver babies, a better way to communicate with IPA members, whatever it is. We need this diversity of views and thinking. And uh, so anyone thinking about a new business, no matter how mm. stupid the idea is, go for it because mm. we need newness. And that's how human race have got to where we are. Now we've got to find a cure for COVID-19. Well, it won't come from people sitting on the beach. No. Uh, it might from someone having a bit of a dream while they fall asleep in the sun, but they've got to get off the beach and get in the lab and fix it. You know? So... Uh, it's exciting to see people invent things and be creative and be different. Uh, we still need all the people to do all the mundane things like driving buses and for how long I don't know, but um, picking up your rubbish and doing all the, the boring stuff. But um, people love doing that too. You know that uh, everyone's got a job. There's the old saying: "There's a place for everyone. Everyone has their place. So find your place and exploit it and have fun with it." So it's not appealing for everyone, but those who want to do mm. it, let them do it. Encourage mm. them. We all need to encourage entrepreneurship yeah. and people want to have a and, go. And Australia was built on entrepreneurship. Yeah. Australia was built on it. By a lot of thieves, thieves and vagabonds. No, and, and settlers who've come <laughs> yeah. across to Australia from Europe and yeah. various parts of the world. Oh, and yeah. There was no return. Migrants, yeah. migrants. There was no yeah. return ticket and they started farms and yeah. you know small businesses it's it's we've got we've got that underlying ethos yeah um it's not a new thing it's a it's a part of the australian way of doing things yeah yeah definitely yeah i i, I definitely think it's a, a very important part of the australian way of life um you know getting up and, and having a go and and getting things done so so i think that's an important um thing that we're trying to encourage young people to you know when you when you see these opportunities or you have these ideas 
um, don't don't let anyone stop you from from taking them. And and it and it is a bit more risky than getting a job with somebody. It, it is more risky, but but it, it, it's if if it's a calculated risk, you know, you're not. It's not too bad. And 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 if you if you if you take a leap and it doesn't quite work, well, it's you know you're not young enough to pick yourself up and dust yourself off, you know, and start all over again. And I think that that's really important to understand that it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to have have failure as long as you you stay positive and focused. Yeah, I think that's one other thing I'd like to add is that said earlier about having a plan. You should also have a plan to fail by saying, well, what's the worst situation? What's the worst can come of this? I waste a year or two or three of my life. I blow my... Which actually isn't wasted. No, you're learning. I've uh, blown all my savings and some of the money that mum and dad have lent me or whatever that might be. But what's the worst? And once you've got that in your head, you say, well, that's the worst. So what? You know, mm. It's like going out for a walk and, you know, is it going to rain? I'll take a raincoat and I'll take a risk. But yeah, it's a calculated risk. Uh, it's the same in business. So if you say, well, what's the worst that can happen and have that and write it down along with so you've got your positive, you've got three plans, failure, complete failure, done. Mid-range where the business is okay and then the blue sky one mm. where it's really good. Yeah. Uh, and you've got those three alternatives and ranges and you feel more comfortable going into it rather than saying, well, oh, it's just going to work, there's no question about it, it's going to be positive, positive, positive. Well, no, that's. I think that is more likely to lead to failure than having the three plans. Um, one of the things I also wanted to touch on a little bit was um, going back into the specifics of um, Baker's Delight as well. For a lot of young Australians, that's where they get their first job, um, in, in the bakery, in their local bakery. And, and I think that Obviously, a lot of people understand. Um, well, naturally, employment um, you know provides you with a wage, which is which is vital. Um, but it also gives a, a sense of self reliance and control and independence, um, and like you have a bit of um, a bit of say over what's happening in your life. So, how do you think that Baker's Delight specifically can help young people with fostering kind of an entrepreneurial spirit and and giving them a, a insight into this dignity of work and um and and a start in what it what it means to be self-reliant and you know working for yourself you mentioned a lot of the franchisees um it it seems like it, there's a very specific structure um when you when you head into baker's delight but i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about um your experience with young people coming in as franchisees and, and what they get out of it well firstly let's do young people who are working in the bakery often they're, they're school age they're school-aged children, and um, you know, when I was 14 years and nine months, I got my first job uh, working in our local hardware store. And having a part-time job for any youngster is is fantastic experience because it's so different to school because you are expected to act like an adult. There are no notes for mummy. There, you know, you, which you can get away with at school. Yeah. You are expected to do certain things and you are expected to do at a particular standard and there are no excuses. Um, and I think it's a, an invaluable lesson. And it's it's was always kind of a, a smile to my face in the very early days where we'd have these 
um, mums and dads drop off their, their their youngsters, the young to work in the bakery, and like I couldn't tell, but Roger would say, you know, he's got the latest Mercedes Benz, you know, that's worth you know sixty thousand dollars, and here's he's dropping off his daughter to earn twenty dollars at that time. It was the whatever the award rate was. Yeah. But that parent could see the value of his daughter's education, you know, to work in to work in a to get a part time job. So. Baker's Delight, the mod, that's how our model works. You know, we, it's, we, we need a, our weekends generally a lot busier than during the week, so we, we need part-time workers and often they're university or school, school children. Ironically, many, many of them, you know, have their two or three or four years with us, some even a bit longer. They do their degree and they, they then progress to be a doctor or whatever they've, tra- they've trained in. But some do stay with us. Some do become franchisees. We've got a, a huge number of 20-something, huge number, probably a very significant number of 20-something franchisees who are doing phenomenally well, phenomenally well in our business. Um, I was just looking at the figures yesterday. There's one young lass who's got two bakeries. Um, she bought one a year and a half ago and the second one um a year ago, and they're both going incredibly well. And if she's 27, I'll go he. You know, she's, I don't know how well, but she's she's young and ambitious and she's got two, two incredibly profitable businesses mm. and she'd be employing, you know, a staff of at least 50. So about two-thirds of our franchisees come from within the network. Mm. So they've either started as a junior and worked their way up or they joined us as a trainee baker and learnt the trade or joined us as a uh, shop assistant and learnt the business and fell in love with it and wanted to become a franchisee. So it's in addition to what Leslie said, we're very proud of the opportunity we give young people in Australia Mm. and Canada and elsewhere to start out in life, just to have that opportunity to learn to be part of an adult world and to be relied on individual as part of a team member is a fantastic opportunity and fantastic lessons to give people. In addition to things you mentioned of having their own money and sense of independence, etc., the dignity of work, but just getting that first rung on the ladder, I suspect the kids who have done part-time work while they're at school or early days at uni will do better in life than those who are spoon-fed and, oh, you don't get a job, little darling, you, you've got to study and you've got to play your sport. And uh, My observation is that people who get on best in life are the ones who work the hardest and have had a part-time job while they were studying either at school or at university. Great. So I think if, if we can kind of give a very brief overview or summary um, in terms of advice for young people, it's um, to get out there and, and get a job and, and start working. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about starting a business, having detailed plans and being aware of failure, that, that that's an option um, and, and putting in the, the practical steps um, to get there. Like you said, Roger, talking to people you might know who've started a yeah. business or might be able to help you out. Um, is there anything else you'd kind of add as a final word to those things? I think you've summed it, summed it up incredibly well. Yeah, that's that's a, a very good summary. And yeah, don't be daunted. People will tell you it's too risky, but don't be daunted. Yeah. Follow your passion and yeah. go for it. Yeah, fantastic. All right, well, I think that's a very positive note to finish up on. Roger and Leslie Gillespie, thank you very much for, for coming on the show. Thanks, Ken. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. <laughs>